the All About Audiology podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lilach Saperstein. And on this podcast, we don't just talk about hearing tests and hearing loss, hearing aids, all the things that come with audiology. We actually talk about you and your experience, whether it's for yourself or for your child, or if you're a student or professional joining us today, I'm so grateful that you're a listener to the podcast. And today on the show, we are going to be talking with Liba Lurie. She is a mama four, a psychologist, and creator of the five-step framework to stop reacting and start responding to your kids. She's passionate about helping parents figure out what's really going on for them and their kids so they feel more calm and more confident and create nurturing, loving, lasting relationship with their kids. And I'm so excited to talk to Liba because that is exactly everything that we do on this show and my vision and mission in the world as well. So welcome, Liba. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Lilach. Thank you so much. Thank you to your listeners. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah. You know, it's something that it is exciting to talk about when you find someone who gets it because parenting is big, big, big umbrella. And then when you come down to hearing loss or communication, it's a very specific kind of challenges that come with it. Cause we're always like, you need to communicate. You need to talk better. But what if that itself is the block? Right. Right. And, and I think what really resonated when we first connected Lilach was that just recently, we discovered that my son has hearing loss and that we are navigating this process of the emotional and practical process of getting him support. Mm-hmm. How old is he? Tell us about him. So my son is in first grade. We are a two language family. We're bilingual. We're a bilingual family. And um, there are some, you know, expected delays in language. But then as his language developed, he was having some difficulty with pronunciation and his uh, kindergarten teacher brought it to our attention. You know, maybe you want to look into this, maybe check this out. So we pursued speech therapy. And as the process is here where we live in Israel, in order to get uh, speech therapy covered uh, by insurance, you also need to do a hearing test. And I thought, okay, why not? Fine. I'll check it off the list. Fourth kid. I suppose I'll do this, you know, and it turns out that he was having trouble. And I remember sitting there in the hearing test and noticing what was happening. And I could see that he was really having trouble. And I remember that drop in my stomach. I suspect your listeners have experienced this. The professionals who are listening, it's important to know that this is something that parents experience, this sense of profound grief, a deep sense of fear, loss, and sadness around your child's ability. And what you thought and believed and expected would be for your child. And then you start to think, oh no, this isn't what I expected. And it is so frightening and it is so sad. And it is all those things all at once. And it is so strong that it is not unusual for a parent to get really swept away by that and to become overcome by that. I happen to be a psychologist. I happen to have formulated a framework. I teach this framework. I live a framework that enables me to recognize my emotional experiences, regulate them, make space for them, and to be okay with them so that I can make space for my child and support my child. But it's not uh, something that's so obvious. When it came to my husband's attention, he really struggled. He really struggled to wrap his head around it. And he was really overcome with fear and disappointment and sadness. To his credit, he knew it and um, spoke to his therapist about it because it's real. And I suppose as we get started, Lilach, in our conversation, I I think it's important that parents and um, professionals realize that the emotional reactions that we have are real. 
And they're important, not only because they're real, but they're important because making space for them is really the first step to being able to support your child in their journey to come to accept, uh, make sense of and accept their, um, their experience. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing all of that and, and being so open with this, because I do, I do feel that a big part of what happens is that the focus is on the child and the hearing test. Here's the results. Here's what you need to do. Boom, boom, boom. Let's go. And kind of the, the team, the medical team and everyone who's there is very practical and moving forward. And here's what it is. Here's what we need to do without making space, I think, for this. And I, I kind of go through the question myself, is that really the time and place when you're an audiologist and you have 15 patients to see in four hours and all of that? But when I was on that side of the booth, you know, being in clinic, I always felt that that was missing. And I, and I know how important it is. That's what really brought me into this work online and doing the podcast and having these conversations, making room for this, that you as a parent, your story matters a lot. And it's going to affect your child in very significant ways. You can't just neglect that and focus only on what they need without taking care of what you need. So everything you said about noticing your emotions, regulating space. Okay, so let's get into it. Yes. And if anything, Lilach, it's even more important. I agree. I'm not up to date with the, you know, with the political correct stuff. So forgive me. Um, it's through ignorance. But I suppose we don't use the word disability, but hearing impairment um, is significant. It's significant. It's harder to identify, I believe. You will let me know as an audiologist, it's harder to, to recognize. It's harder to pinpoint and it can go undiagnosed for a long time. So he was already five or six coming into first grade. And at that point, you're not sure. Is it social? Is it that they're ignoring? Is it behavioral? Is it, you know, uh, difficulty reading? Like you're already getting into all these other skills. And then when you see, oh, it's way before all those things, it's access to the sound, even a mild hearing loss is not mild in how the person experiences it, how it shows up for them. So absolutely everything you're saying. So the term, the latest, from what I understand is that we use hard of hearing for people who have some level of hearing loss and people identify as deaf if they uh, feel like their modality is not auditory oral or spoken and hearing, but they prefer to sign and use other modes. So kind of hard of hearing and deaf is the, the umbrella term. Okay, that's good to know. Thank you. Yeah, sure. And the hearing impairment, you know, is still a medicalized term, uh, right. but uh, I think socially and colloquially, we really don't want you to be seeing it as an impairment. On the other hand, I think there's some important element in knowing that this is holding you back in some ways. Right. I think sometimes we shy away mm -hmm. from our challenges, but as you're saying, it is a challenge and it's real and it affects a child, especially in their, as they are developing, it affects their perception of themselves and um, others in the world around them. This is one of their, um, one of the senses. Hearing is one of the senses. It's how we take information from the outside world, process it, make meaning of it, and um, develop a sense of self in this world. And when you can't hear or see, you're in some ways in a different reality. If someone is talking to you, hello, hello, and they're feeling frustrated, and you're like, why are you so frustrated? Why are you so frustrated? It's the fourth time I called you. It's like, I didn't hear you. Yeah, yeah. 
No, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. What I'm experiencing in my mind and body is not a reflection of what's happening on the outside. And that disconnect is very, it can be frightening. Ultimately, what we're doing as parents, as we raise our children, building relationships with them, is we are inviting them from their own mind and body into reality. We're inviting them, we're accompanying them as they develop. Now, with hard of like hearing loss, um, with this impairment, I'm going to use that That's word, okay. with this impairment, the path is rockier if it's not diagnosed. Now, once it's diagnosed, now we start a new path. And on that start of that path, I think it's important. I say this to myself. It's so important that I make space for this. And I can tell you when he was fitted, oh man, when he was fitted for the hearing aids. Now, any parent who's gone through this knows it, you know, and I've actually looked online because we, we came home, you know, we want to show dad what happened and I want to show dad. So dad was in the know, right? And he knew um, because he was in the dark for so long because I had done all the tests and kind of crept up on him. I sort of got hints to it. So I had time to try it on. You know, you had a very powerful experience of being in that room. So you saw him not hearing the sounds and you heard them, and you saw him not hearing them. And that, by the way, for our students and young professionals, that is a very, very important tool to bring the parent in. So it's not just a paper that's like, what are all these scribbles yes, mean? Yes. Yes. Experience. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What, what I found helpful, Lilach, having professionals in mind here, having listen, you know, professionals who are listening, what I found very helpful was that um, two things. One was that the um, woman who gave the assessment, she said to me, my son, this will make sense to you. It's still, it's still making sense to me that he is 30 on both sides. <laughs> you know what that means. I don't know what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure you need to see more information that doesn't give you enough information. But what she said to me, your son can hear. He can hear. He is a, he is a child. She said to me, he is a child who hears, but he can't hear everything everywhere. And so she, she explained it to me and she gave me that to hold on to. And that was something I repeated to my husband. Now, one of your listeners might be listening to this and saying, but my child doesn't hear. And that's okay. What's important is that I know, I need to know where am I where is my child on the spectrum? Give me the reality check. I need, I need to know what, what's real here. Because as I had mentioned, what we're doing is we're helping our children. We're accompanying them on their journey into reality. So we can reflect back to them. This is what's real mm-hmm. here. And we can relate to them from reality. Here's the reality. You can't hear. That's the reality. Now I have to be accepting of that reality. I have to be okay with that reality so that I can make sure that it's a safe place to invite them into, to accompany them into as they come to recognize this is my reality, that it's safe and I get it and I, and I reflect it back to you and um, I'm with you in it so that it can make sense. That's how, whether it's hearing, hard of hearing, um, hearing loss, uh, deaf, um, whether it's anxiety, whether it's, you know, it's fears, whether it's deep sadness and grief, whatever it is, our job as parents is to say, this is what's happening. I see it. It's real. And I'm here to keep you company. So we have to be able to tolerate our own experience of it so that we can feel safe in the reality. So it was very helpful. Yeah. And not to fix it. Yeah. Not to fix it. Well, I can't. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> um, it's, I, I can't. Uh, and I think that's what's so hard for us is that we can't fix this. The reality is you can't fix it. Uh, you can support it, but you can't fix it. And so uh, another helpful message that I got from the audiologist who did his um, 
you know, as I said, we were sitting and getting him fitted. I, I was still a little bit in denial. I wasn't really sure it was real. Mm. And she demonstrated it to me. And it was very helpful as a parent. I'm speaking to the professionals here. And maybe the parents who are listening who haven't had this and still don't really understand it to ask for that. Can you explain this to me? Because I'm hearing. I'm not hard of hearing. So I don't get it. Just like my daughter was saying to me the other day, she's like, wait, what do you see? I'm legally blind and you have to special order my contact lenses. I have very, very, very poor vision. Any contact wears, I'm like a negative eight. It's very, very mm -hmm. poor vision. And I was trying to explain to her, it's very hard to explain what I see and what I don't see or how I do see. It's hard to explain how you hear. So it was very helpful when the audiologist used her machine to simulate it for me. And it was so, in that moment, eye-opening. <sighs> oh, oh. I had this real somatic experience and, and cognitive understanding. Oh, first of all, this is real. This is real. Mm -hmm. And wow, that is hard. That would be hard. Now I get it. What they say when they say he has to use a lot of mental energy to hear. Mental energy that could otherwise be put towards other functions. And so it was very eye-opening. So for the professionals listening, I think it's important. You know, these were, these were important experiences for me as a parent that helped me understand what's really happening. And to the parents, as a, as a professional, I want to acknowledge that acknowledging what is real and what is really happening is hard. It is hard. There is, there is a natural sense of grief that comes with it. What's nice about recognizing that we're sad or we feel lost is that when we make space for that, we can come to accept it. And with acceptance, we can move forward and be, as opposed to being uh, taken away by the grief, sort of swept away by it, we can be conscious in how to support our children. We can be connected with our wants and our needs and our children's wants and needs and say, well, what does my kid need right now? And I find myself being far more thoughtful in light of that capacity, as opposed to when I first became a mother and I was really overwhelmed by motherhood and my daughter was born with a condition. She was in the NICU for 10 weeks. And I, I was exposed very early on as a, in my early twenties to the medical world. And it was very frightening. And I didn't have the skills that I have today or that I teach. And um, uh, it's made a huge difference for me to be able to support my son and say, you know what, you know what would be really helpful to me right now? And I can ask for it. And I can say, I need this right now. I need this sort of support. I've been very lucky. And I find here in Israel, I've been very well supported by the system. I'm very impressed. Not everybody is so lucky and not everybody has the same experience because their needs might be different. But it is important that we recognize that we as parents have needs for support. And I'm, you know, and it's, it's you know, and I think Lilach and your coaching, how important and valuable that is, not just for um the parents, but for the children, we don't realize that when we help ourselves, we're helping our children. When we get the emotional support that we need, emotional, practical support, that we are ultimately helping our children, it funnels down to our kids, that um, not only are we given the direction, here's what has to happen, A, B, and C, but that we are given that, oh, good, someone's in my corner. Someone, you know, I'm, I'm not alone in this, because I think that is something that is also part and parcel of the experience, not just for the, your child, you know, but for you, you know, nobody gets it. <laughs> and it's nice to be understood. And that's ultimately what we want to give to our children, understanding that even if you can't speak or you can't hear me, I still understand you. There's still communication there. There's connection. still communication yeah. and therefore connection. Absolutely. That's, and it doesn't have to be the always the goal. That's always the goal is the connection. Absolutely. I think that as parents, we get a lot of 
this messaging that you are now for them, that you exist now to care for them. And honestly, in the beginning, that is true. <laughs> like they're not going to survive if you don't feed them every three hours or more often, you know? So, so we kind of sometimes stay in that mentality of like, okay, now the kid is in charge and I'm there for them. And coming out of that mindset, I think is really the power when you remember, okay, actually you're the adult here <laughs> and you're there to help your child, to lead them, to guide them. I know there's the big debate of if parents should be friends with their children and what that means, you know, the word friend, but uh, you know, maybe it could be friendly, but, <laughs> but I still think there's some yeah. I think they should be parents yeah. and part of being a parent yeah. is having a relationship and it should yeah. be a positive, nurturing, supportive, secure relationship. So investing in yourself as the parent, I think is, is one of those switches that has to happen, which is you're doing everything for your child. And if you don't do for yourself too, then that's detrimental in the end to the connection and the relationship you have with them. I was thinking about my son was getting um, measured for his hearing aids. And um, we're in this small room and um, we're sort of experiencing it together. It's the first time I've ever been there. I've never had a child measured for hearing aids. And um, I remember it was this experience of understanding, recognizing and understanding and, and experiencing the reality that this is real, that this is happening. Um, yeah, I remember feeling the loss. I remember feeling the loss. I think there was a lot in there. I think what I was saying was to the professionals that the audiologist helped me understand with her machine. I remember sitting there and, and you know, here in, in Israel, um, army service is compulsory. And it is something that is generally valued culturally. It's valued serving your country, a very patriotic country. And um, he's our fourth child and our only son. We have three girls and a boy. And so him going to the army is something that is on one hand special that he would be potentially a, a, a combat soldier, but also very frightening as a mother, you can imagine. And um, I remember asking the audiologists, can he serve in combat? And she said, in short, not likely because it's a risk to his security. If he's in the field and he loses his um, hearing aid, he's more vulnerable. So it's not likely. And she said, things could change. He's only six, things could change, but I would imagine not. And in that moment, again, I faced the grief. I was relieved, don't get me wrong. There's also relief. And I think that there are two things here. One is that the grief keeps coming. It keeps coming and that's okay. It's okay. It's supposed to be that way. It comes in waves as, as grief does. That's the nature of it. And the second part is there can be other feelings as well. I was grieving, but I was also really relieved and excited to go home and tell his big sisters. So here's, here's some good news. He doesn't, he's not going to serve in combat because my, my daughters are actually really concerned for their little prince. It's something that they worry about. So they were happy about that. And I, we actually happened to have a neighbor whose daughter has, um, who's deaf in one ear and he was working in intelligence in the army. So he said, so he'll serve in intelligence. And I was like, oh yeah, there's more to the story. We sometimes, as parents, we have these visions for our children and we have hopes and dreams for our children. And whether it's discovering your child is hard of hearing or that your child has other challenges and that they won't be able to fulfill your dreams. Yes, there is grief in that, but it's also okay because 
it's not the only story that is to be had. And that we have this, there's this possibility that if we're able to um, embrace reality and all the emotions that come with that, uh, then we're able to support our children in their story as they write their story and they live their story and they get to actualize their potential, whatever, you know, whatever it is. And that's theirs. And which is really a wonderful opportunity as a parent. Totally. And that you don't, you're not the one who's writing the script, by the way. <laughs> no, you're not. You're really not. There's a, a moment of, of confronting that. You don't always make all the decisions. <laughs> that's right. And that's whether or not your child is hard of hearing or not. Mm -hmm. That is the nature of being a parent. And I think, you know, something that I teach parents is about, is about reality. Between you and me, Lilach, and all of your listeners, I help parents grow up. And growing up is essentially coming to live in reality with what is and to be able to tolerate it for what it is. And that means that it's not all good or all bad, but it's gray. And that we can live in it and we and it is hospitable and it's safe. And I can not only just tolerate it, but I can actually grow in it. I can be productive. I can um, lead a meaningful life and meaningful connections, even if I don't always get my way. And that's what we are confronted with here uh, when we discover that our child is hard of hearing or deaf, that uh, I'm not getting my way here. And not getting what you want is hard. I was just speaking to a client this morning. And she's, you know, that's, that's part of her process is not getting what you want is really hard. She didn't have a parent who said to her, you're not getting, this is what you want. You can't have it, but that's okay. I'll be here with you and, and make space for you and keep you company as you negotiate and navigate all the feelings and emotions that are going to come up for you in that reality. You can't get everything you want in your disappointment. And that's real. And I think sometimes it's, you know, it's often times parents think that they've somehow failed. We very often jump to judgment. We judge our kids, we judge the system, we judge ourselves. And that is fine, but that's automatic, but it's not reality. The, the judgments are real, <laughs> but they're not a true reflection of reality. You haven't done anything wrong. You're not a failure. Neither is a child or the system. Wow. I'm so I'm so glad you're bringing this up. The guilt is one of the things I hear a lot, a lot, a lot from parents that did I do something wrong during the pregnancy? Did, should I have known about this sooner? Mm -hmm. You know, did we make the right decision? Yeah. And again, that goes with all parenting hashtag mom guilt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. But, but how do, how do we live with that feeling and then also regulate and comfort and say, I did what I knew and I did the best I could and it wasn't your fault. How, how do we come to that? What's your advice for that? Through grief, because acceptance comes through grief. You know, to forgive is to accept is to grieve. And if anyone is familiar with the five stages of grief, that acceptance is the fifth stage. And it, there is, for, there is, it doesn't, it's not linear, but these are the stages is uh, denial, uh, bargaining, like maybe if I did this and maybe if I, and we sort of fantasize about different possibilities, anger, sadness, and acceptance. And so these four stages are the preliminary stages to come to accept. And when we accept that this is it, then we can forgive ourselves. Then we can say, this is what it is. And it's okay. And so am I. <laughs> So am I, because I am human. I can accept myself and the parts of myself, but only if I let myself know that they exist. 
the part of myself that is angry, the part of myself that wishes it was different, the part of myself that is so sad, and the part of myself that doesn't even want to believe that it's true. And let me tell you as a mother, they come up for you. Whether you like it or not, they're going to come up. It's whether or not you're willing to pay attention to them and say to yourself, this is real. And I would even encourage you to share it with other people and say, oh, I'm so sad or I'm so angry and seek out people in your life who can make space for that and who can nod. Just like you would step into a home where someone is grieving, you just make space for them because there's nothing you can do about it. And guilt is um, a manifestation of our thoughts that say you should have or you have to. And those are not necessarily true. You know, guilt is not always true. And so we need to actually be able to reflect on those thoughts and say, is this true? Is this true? Or is it my way of distracting myself from the grief? You know, if I tell myself I should have done something different, then I don't have to pay attention to how sad I am that I didn't and how helpless I feel. Oh man, helplessness. That is a big one. And I think that's exactly why I feel it's so important that people who are listening to this podcast and people who are Googling the things and looking at blogs and connecting and doing all the things, you're looking for more because you know that you're not going to stay in helplessness forever. That's, that's, you know, first of all, you can't, your kid needs you. So come on, come with us. Let's get, let's get through this. But also, you know, yeah. 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 That's, I'm really, yeah. I'm happy to hear of, you know, that you offer coaching to parents because I think it's really important that that service is available to parents because many parents need that. And it's nice to know that what you need is out there. Uh, you just reach out and take it. If you don't know it's there, you don't know, you don't know that it's available to you, but it's available to you. And, and it's important that parents have that direct one-on-one support, really someone holding your hand, having I happen to be very lucky that I got this phone call this morning just before we spoke, Lila. Just before we spoke, this woman calls me. She says, hi, it's so-and-so. And I was like, who? I've got, an, I've got, a, I've got a chat with Lila in five minutes. What do you want? <laughs> and then she said, um, very sweet woman. I'm calling. Is this your son's name? I made the connection very quickly. Before. She said, I got your name from the woman at the organization here. And, and I... Uh, I said, oh, I know. Oh, you work in the school and you tutor the kids and support the kids and really hold their hand to this. And in that moment, I felt so much at ease because feeling alone is so common. Whenever your child uh, encounters a challenge, you know, I run the motherhood in the making community on Facebook so that women who face challenges with their kids can come in and say, I'm not alone, right? Because it's so important, it's so valuable that we don't feel alone in it. Because when we're alone, first of all, we're triggered, we're frightened, and we're less likely to be feel safe to make space for what we need to make space for, so that we can come to acceptance and then make space for our child. So I was, you know, I was very grateful to get this phone call. And I'm very happy to hear that you offer coaching to parents because I think parents deserve this in and of themselves. And their children deserve parents who mm-hmm. feel solid and secure and just holds your hand through it. Another thing I wanted to say about grief is that it really is this spiral that every time you go through all the stages, then you kind of start all over again about the next thing. Cause okay, you do the baby stage and then you're like, okay, I understand babiness. And then they're toddlers and like, oh, now we're doing communication and we're doing what kind of educational placement and friendships and play. And then you move to and tantrums and toilet training and Oh my gosh. Yes. Uh, 
Don't want to talk about teletraining. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. And trying to get your message across and getting frustrated that you can't. And then you move to school age and you've got all the school things, Mm -hmm. bullying and academic Mm -hmm. pressure. (laughs) Gosh. Yeah. And then you get to teenagers. Yay. I don't know about anything about that yet. I can tell you. (laughs) (laughs) It's like having toddlers again. (laughs) Uh Right. And then I think also about, about being an adult parent to adult children is a whole nother story all over. Um, And and it's not even the whole in-law thing, which also like once you're in a relationship and then you're dealing with someone else's family. (laughs) So there's a lot, it's called life, man. Okay. You're going to go through all the stages and and every day it's a new making and it's a new grief and it's a new acceptance. And that's right. That's right. That's right. Ultimately our job, I, I say to parents is to take responsibility. Ultimately, I have to take responsibility. I have to take responsibility for my children. I have to start by taking responsibility for myself. And taking responsibility doesn't mean, though we think that uh, responsibility is being good. We associate it with being a good girl, a good boy, you know, be responsible, don't mess up. We, We think of responsibility often in our performance and achievement. I'm talking about being responsible for myself. And that means that I am, you think, responsible I'm able to respond and being able to respond to a situation means that I know that I exist and to exist means that I am okay with all the parts of myself, my wants, my needs, my wishes, my desires, all of my emotions, all of my automatic thoughts and judgments. I don't judge them for being there. I'm okay with them being there because I'm accepting of myself and that's what it means to be responsible. And we are responsible for ourselves and we are responsible for our children. And it's our responsibility. It's, I'll speak for myself and say, it's my responsibility to, um, to support my child. And I'll say to support my child in the way that I wasn't supported, which makes it a lot harder if you didn't have the modeling, not just the behavior modeling, but the emotional experience that we all know shapes. We all know it cognitively, right? We all know in this day and age that our early childhood experiences shape us in the future. It's whether or not I'm willing to take responsibility for it and to say, well, I guess this is who I am and own it and live it and say, I really struggle with sadness because when I was a child, I wasn't allowed to be sad. So I'm responsible for myself now. And so I go and I get the help that I need so that I can feel safe feeling sad. So that when I discover that my son is hard of hearing, I can be sad and I can feel sad. And so I can let that, I can ride that wave, let it take me to shore, stand on solid ground and catch him because he's going to come next. He's also going to have his grief. He's also making sense of all this and I need to model to him. It's okay. It's okay. And what happens when you're in a wave and you're flailing and flailing? That's not a good place to be. You're going to be stuck in that, in that storm. Right. Sometimes you need to let it carry you. Right. Right. Well, like I want to add that we do flail. We will yeah. flail. But what's important is that we can observe ourselves in the flailing and that we can also hold space for ourselves and be, be that comforting adult voice that perhaps you've never had, but can recreate, take responsibility and recreate it for yourself and say, it's okay. You're allowed to flail right now. You're allowed to feel this you know, breathe through it, ride the wave, make space for this. And I think that's what the coaching is so helpful is you can have someone reflect that back to you and say, it's okay. You know, it's totally okay that you're feeling this way. This is to be expected. This is what happens when you discover your child is hard of hearing. This is what happens when you suddenly have to navigate a whole system that is, that is like uh, completely foreign to you. 
Um, it's what happens when you feel scared, you flail a little bit, but it's going to be okay. And so you can have this comforting voice that says it's going to be okay. But like you said, you know, we have to do that so that the wave doesn't overtake us, but that we can, that we can stay on it and, and ride it. Right. And to follow this metaphor even more, which I love metaphors. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you're in the middle of a hurricane and you need a boat, you need a helicopter. Like, you don't always, it's not always just like, you know, surfing weather. Sometimes you really hit with something bad. You know what's so hard, and it's a bit of a play within a play, because the parents who get hit really hard, part and parcel of why they feel it so hard is because they didn't have anybody there to help them negotiate the storm. And so the storm seems a lot bigger to them than it really is. Not to say that it's not, as we're saying now, like not to say that it's not sad and disappointing and upsetting and unfair and all those parts, but it can feel differently to different people. And for some parents, it can feel so big and because no one was there. And what happens is that because it's so big, what parents think unconsciously is, well, I guess this is just proof that there's no one there. And so I'll be a voice to the listener who needs to hear this, that that's not how it has to be, that you don't have to go through this alone and that you don't have to suffer it alone and that you don't, you know, um, you can call for help. And there is help to be had, even though in the past, you might have sought help through your nonverbal communication and, you know, you weren't heard because often these, these perceptions are formed very, very early on and uh, you weren't heard, you weren't seen, you weren't recognized. Maybe you were dismissed, maybe you were put down. And so you've concluded, well, I guess I'm on my own here and there's no one I can trust. But that's not reality, though it feels real. It's not reality. In reality, I can speak to you from the other side. The world is a, is a nurturing place. It is a hospitable place. It is a place of great potential. And while it can be scary sometimes, and while it can be unpredictable, it is still a place um, worth participating in and finding connections in. To participate in this world is to connect in this world, is not to be alone. And so if that seems frightening to you, I understand it. Trust me, I believe me. (laughs) You don't trust me, but, but I hope you can feel me when I say I know all about it but it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah, I think we can all connect to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we can all take responsibility for ourselves as adults and say, hey, it doesn't have to be this way. And we can recreate something new for our children, especially our children who are facing the challenge of hard of hearing and deafness, that, uh, hey, you're not alone. And let me show you that you're not alone. So when you, when you first even brought the word up responsible, my you know immediate, uh, unconscious, subconscious, whatever you want to call it, felt this feeling of like, oh, I'm responsible. I have to do everything myself. It's all on me. And, and I, and I watched myself think that. And as you were talking, I was like, wow, I still kind of hold that feeling that I have to do everything myself, that I'm responsible, that no one is there for me. And actually the new definition or like reinvigorating this truth that responsibility means it's my job to help myself. That doesn't mean I have to do everything myself. Wow. That has been a great lesson. Yeah. 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 Well, you've given me a definition now is that being responsible. I'm, as you're speaking, I'm thinking, yeah, being responsible is what exactly what you said. And I was taking a note here and wrote being responsible is allowing yourself to feel safe in connections is that I'm allowed to feel safe in connections. I'm allowed that even though I haven't in the past, I'm allowed to feel safe in connections and feeling safe in connection. I've learned is actually asking for help saying, I need this. 
I want this and to feel okay and safe to express that. And that not, you know, even though my automatic expectation is that I'll be, you know, oh God, you're so needy. Or what do you want from me? Don't bother me. Or crickets, no one's there to even hear me. You know, different parents have had different experience in their experience of being parented. And now as adults, we have a, we have a choice to make. And even, as we said, the responsibility to allow ourselves to feel safe in these connections. And in these circumstances, reach out for help. Is that asking for help is not dangerous. It is safe to ask for help. And I want to put something out in this part of the conversation about who you ask for help from. And sometimes we repeat and repeat and repeat the same story and don't recognize the insanity of that. <laughs> so um, basically I'm, I'm talking about how in times we reach out to people who are our family or who are close friends, uh, whatever doctor you had on your insurance or whatever audiologist is in your neighborhood, like kind of the automatic whoever's there. And it's not necessarily the person you need to reach out to. It's not necessarily the person who can offer you the help that you deserve to be this person that can be a mirror that's outside of you. And I have to plug right now therapy as you know, you're a psychologist, but from my perspective as having been in therapy, it is transformational to be like, you don't know anything about me and I don't need to see you outside of this hour, but you're totally here to help me. And just that about the relationship. And I talked about this on the episode all about therapy. That was an episode with my husband, who is a family physician. We talked about how important that is to know that that's out there. And I think therapy and coaching as well. And, and these kind of frameworks and programs that, that show you something different. You know, it's very awesome to go to your mom or your grandma, you know, or someone who's like in your life that's a constant and hopefully a source of nurturing, but A, that's not the case for everybody. And B, this is a new story. Like the, the topic of, of deaf and hard of hearing, of audiology, you know, you might want someone who knows what, 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 what the number 30 means, right? Or like what the situations are so that they can really advise specifically. Yeah. Right. Right. But more than that, more than that, what I think you're saying as well in light of uh, invoking therapy is that what, what we want is somebody who doesn't take up space, but gives us space. Um, someone who is going to make space for us and not take up the space. That's what I want to give to my child. Oh, that's what I ultimately want to provide for my son is that he, I want to make sure that my stuff doesn't get to fill up the space and so that he can have space to just experience it and to be able to um, encounter himself because this is all new for him too. And he ultimately, um, psychologically speaking, developmentally speaking, needs to be able to encounter it and feel safe to do so. And the only way is for me to get out of the way <laughs> and not take up the space and push, push it out of the way because it's too much or because mine are my feelings are too big here. That doesn't mean that I'm not allowed to have feelings. You know, as you spoke about infants, you know, in infancy, um, wow, you're remembering what it's like to have an infant who just like takes up everything. It doesn't mean that my needs and wants went away. I still had needs, I still had wants. I needed hugs. I needed to be listened to. I needed to complain. I needed to be fed. I needed to pee. You know, my wants and my needs didn't go away. Um, but considering the circumstances, there was another person in the relationship who needed and wanted more. And that's what happens in therapy. My needs and wants are, don't go away. I don't disappear as a person. 
but my client will step into the space and it's their space. This is your hour. This is your space where we sit with what's happening for you. I'm still a person. I exist. Um, but it's not about me. This isn't about me. And that's something that we want to, in some ways, um, mimic for our children. Um, ultimately, I think what's important is what, you know, what we're speaking to in the idea of connection and allowing ourselves to feel safe in connection is synonymous to allowing ourselves to want and to need. And very often we don't feel safe in our wants and needs. Unconsciously, we will make choices that reinforce our belief that our wants and needs are not okay. And so we'll just accept the doctor in our area or the audiologist down the street or what's in our um, insurance. And we won't pause and say, wait a minute, what do I want here? I, you know, and, you know, we'll tell ourselves stories like, oh, it costs too much money or I don't have the time. While there may be some truths to it, oh, it's more convenient this way. While there may be truth to it, well, ultimately we need to ask ourselves, is this what I want? If, if money, time, convenience wasn't an issue, what would I want? And whether or not I can get what I want, it's still important to acknowledge what I want and what I need. Whether you're seeking support for yourself and your child who is diagnosed hard of hearing or deaf or any other issue in life, especially as a parent, because your role is so important in nurturing your child's um, ability to feel safe in connection, is that we need to start with ourselves and ask ourselves, well, what do I want? What do I need? And that can be very scary. That can be very scary. Nevertheless, even though it's scary, it's still important and that it's okay to feel scared. Of course you feel scared. No one else ever, no one ever asked you. In fact, they would ignore you or put you down or what have you, but it's, that doesn't mean they go away. It doesn't mean it goes away. And it's important now more than ever to ask yourself, what do I want? What do I need? And to take the steps necessary, whether it be um, therapy, you know, coaching, you know, you reach out to Lilach and you get her support, whatever it is, it's important that we ask ourselves, what do we need? What do we want? And acknowledge that the inevitable and the natural, normal, if you will, um, waves that we um, ride in this process and to make space for them. Levi, I want to ask you about specifically the topic of family that are in their own story, that at the same time as you're going ahead and doing everything you need to do, uh, your mother-in-law will make a comment. They don't even need that. They hear me just fine. Or, you know, a spouse who doesn't want to join appointments or, you know, all of the things that, that also is very commonly something you hear that the mom is ready, is kind of doing all of this work of feeling the feelings and learning mm -hmm. and Googling and studying and trying to figure out what's right. But they, in their life, don't have the support and they, they, they are now also in an advocacy role, just something that I teach in my workshops yeah. as well, the advocacy, the FIG method. So I'd love to hear if you have some advice for how to navigate those conversations. Yes. Well, um, I think what's really important, I'll speak more on an umbrella, like sort of macro here, is that we can't control everything. Like I can't control what my mother-in-law says or does. Uh, I need that on a bumper sticker. I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can't control her. I cannot control her, but I can control the way that I respond. And so that can be hard because what I would respond with is, and this is what I teach, you know, in the five-step framework, step four is respond. Okay. And when we respond, 
we need to be clear about what we want and what we need and we have and we need to communicate it and i like that you use the word advocacy because we need to advocate for what we want and what we need at least in my in my framework i'm really curious to hear about this advocacy in the fig method um and to say um listen i know i i know you i i acknowledge your point of view you know he hears you just fine but here's what's happening because i'm the mother here's what's happening and i'm going to advocate and I'm going to stand up and say, here's what's going to happen. <laughs> if you take issue, that's fine. I'm happy to, to talk to you about it. I know it's hard to wrap your head around, but please don't do it in front of my son. So it doesn't confuse him and it doesn't scare him, period. I might turn to my husband and say, I know this is hard for you because you haven't been going through to all of the appointments. And I know this is hard for you. Uh, sidebar. It's hard for him, <laughs> just so you know, mom, it's hard for him too. It's, you know, my, my husband, he's like, it's my boy. You know, he also comes with his, his own perspective of the kid with the hearing aids. You know, when we grew up in the nineties, kids with hearing aids, it was not cool. It was not cool at all. You know, uh, I had glasses and it was not cool. And like, <laughs> I'm, you know, and I, you know, that was the story that we had. And I said to him, you know, and I had my own reaction to that. And I think what happens, Lilach, is that we have our own reaction to that, our own hurt and threat, like, screw you, <laughs> you know, that's my son you're talking about. Again, so it brings us back to, um, you, know, ref you know, pause and reflect on what's going on for you, connect what's happening for the other person, you know, this is hard for my husband, and then respond and say, look, yeah. I know this is really hard for you. Um, but here, I think it's really important, so, hashtag, I want, I need to you, for you to come to the next appointment. Tomorrow, my son is going for his third um, uh, test and my, my husband's taking him. He's going to take him and um, it worked out for the scheduling. And I also said, I think it's a really great idea for you to have an opportunity. And it's also great for my son to have you there too. So he knows that you're on board too, and that he can have this experience with everybody and sort of really um, his world is full and he's, you know, there's no mystery around it. There's no, there's no mystery or, or secrets, you know, or we have to protect anybody from this, but everybody knows what the reality is and it helps him to come to terms with the reality as well. You know, as I was saying, I can't control my husband's reaction to it. I can't control what he does. I, it's not in my control. And this goes for anything, ladies, this is for anything. You can't control anybody else, but you can respond how, you can control how you respond to it. And to respond is really important to know what your wants and needs are and to advocate for them. And that's the real challenge in light of what I said earlier about our own conflicts around our needs. We have conflicts that doesn't feel exactly, part of us knows we want and need it. The other part of us says, don't want and need it, it's dangerous. You'll be left alone and rejected if you do. So we have to come to terms with that um, and to resolve that conflict so that we can confidently and safely say, this is what I want and this is what I need. I need to hire Lilach. <laughs> you know, like, I need you to not say this in front of my son, or I need you to go to this appointment, what have you, um, want, need, whatever. That would be my contribution. Those are my thoughts on, on the matter. I, I also talk a lot about this choice of, of you know, switching providers, getting a new doctor, even changing your child from one school to another. Like, yeah, that paperwork, it's a hassle. It's not an easy thing to do. You, you, you make those kind of decisions on purpose. But if you don't, then, then it's just one thing after another and you're not getting maybe what you want. So I love the framing of knowing what you want. And that's my G. In the FIG method, the G is goal. And you have to know what your goal is. Sometimes your goal is to educate and you need to explain to mom, here's what the hearing loss looks like and what that means. And sometimes your goal is to leave 
the party where your friends are being insensitive and not paying attention to what your kid needs and you don't want to deal with them anymore. So you leave the party. Your goal right there is you don't want to be in that situation anymore. And other times your goal is to care for yourself and notice that whatever's happening here is not even about your kid. <laughs> it's totally about you. Right. That's really important. When you're in a meeting, an advocacy meeting, like in the United States, you have these IEP meetings to get them services. You come into that meeting with your goal. You know what kind of therapy you want, you know what frequency, and you know which provider is going to give it and which one is not. So you know your goal. And then you come into that meeting being a totally empowered person in that situation in your advocacy. Yes. And you feel safe. You feel safe. And even though there will be emotions to ride in those meetings, because they're not always pleasant, you can stay on the board and you can, you can stay solid and make space for what comes up for you, but still be very clear about your goals, about what you want and what you need and advocate for them. Um, And that ultimately is what it means to take responsibility is that I can feel safe in connection. And the connection is with myself, with my child, with my partner, with the world at large, with my purpose, with my meaning. Um, And it is, uh, yeah, it's really important. It's really important. I'm so glad that we had this conversation. Yeah, me too. It's going to continue. It's something that, you know, on the podcast and with each other, we we can continue these these questions because uh, that's the whole thing is that when you study to be an audiologist, you learn very specific intense training about hearing, hearing loss, devices. And I, I'm always bringing in the counseling and bringing in the additional emotional parts of what this is, how this affects your children to each other, yeah. the siblings, yeah. Yeah. who gets more attention yeah. and less attention and, you know, labels and all that. And you and your, and your partner or spouse and how you two are handling. Yes. Uh, you know, it's, it's much bigger, it's yes. much bigger. So yes. because as humans, we are much bigger than our bodies. We are not just in the medical field. We, we look at the body and we diagnose the problem and, and we treat the, the issue, um, which is great. And I'm happy for it. But we also, um, sometimes in the medical field, the mind is, 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 um, forgotten and, uh, let alone the soul. Okay. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Got to bring that back in. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. That there's, there's something much um, greater than the body. It's things that cannot be observed, um, that cannot be observed and that are very unique and individual. And that is really the seat of connection is the parts that go beyond the parts that, you know, the parts that are beyond our performance and our behavior and our actions and what our body does or doesn't do, but the deeper parts of our self, capital S self, I often say that who is, who am I? And, and to do that, in order to connect with that, we connect with not just our bodies and our physical selves, but our emotional selves and our spiritual selves and uh, things that are, you know, that are beyond us. But that's where connection lies. That's where connection lies. If we feel safe enough uh, to do so. If people want to find you, learn about what you do, where can I find uh, you? If somebody would like to learn about me and find me, they can uh, go to my website, libalurie.com, L-I-B-A-L-U-R-I-E.com. Or if you're on Facebook, you can come into the Mother in the Making community. If you're a mom who wants to work on herself and build better relationships, you can certainly join me in the Mother in the Making community. Your first protocol is uh, my homepage, libalurie.com. Yeah. Excellent. And that will also be linked in the show notes, as well as a full transcript of our conversation today at allaboutaudiology.com. 
Thank you, Leva, so much for joining us today. Thank you. I'm Dr. Lila Saperstein, and this is the All About Audiology Podcast. <laughs>